0: Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I'm your host Nick Agar Johnson, and I have today for the first time this season back on the program Tyler Rucker. Tyler, how are you doing this fine afternoon?
1: Feels weird to say that, but it feels right to be back. So uh, it's been a minute, Nick, but um, I'm doing good. Um, excited for this one, and you know, basketball season is is really kicking our butt right now. I, I feel like <laughs> I'm trying to catch up on everything, um, including the G League, but. Everything's going good. How about you, sir? Big uh big Sacramento Kings win last night. Light the beam.
0: Yeah, light light the beam. Uh I've been I've been doing well. It's been a very busy start to the season generally, the NBA season, the college season, the G League season. You know, there's a lot of basketball going on right now, which means there's a lot to talk about. And we're today we're here today to discuss your most recent article over on No Ceilings plus. So for those of you who are not No Ceilings Plus subscribers, be sure to check it out for a very low monthly or yearly fee. You can get all of the great No Ceilings content instead of just the, you know, once a day, every day during the week, free content available on no We have some plus content this year and we're going to talk about your recent article on preparing to take the leap. So I want to just sort of start off by where you started off in the article. And <laughs> You know, very, very key, very to the point, five word sentence. Confidence is everything in life is where you start the piece. And it's fascinating to me because I think something that we talk about pretty frequently is how important confidence is for shooters in particular. But it's the kind of thing that is, you know, vitally important to pretty much every part of the NBA development process. And when you're talking about, you know, teenagers stepping onto the court as, you know, (laughs) millionaires playing the game they've been playing all their lives but playing it at the highest level if you don't think you belong it's very easy to sort of psych yourself out of being in that elite company
1: yeah i I mean you said it perfectly right there you know you're a young teenager you're getting thrown into a world of unknown you know all these guys are are riding a high of being a, a draft pick and playing professional basketball now and the the next part of your game is you have to be confident in what you can do. And some guys are going to come out and be like, Hey, I'm a top 10 pick. I I feel very confident, but you know, Mike Tyson, every, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And I, I, I really feel like that comes a long way too, when it comes to these young guys, like you're a teenager, you're getting millions of dollars. Now you have expectations, you have, you know, a role to be a part of an organization that just invested in you, and some of these guys, like, you know, everyone jokes and I always like to say it takes time. Some of these guys do not hit the ground running as rookies. Um, a lot of them don't play a lot of minutes. I think at one point this year, like less than half of the first round was playing 10 minutes a game. So, you know, in this piece, I was talking about a lot of guys that have been in the league for a couple of years, have are looking to take that next step, are starting to build some confidence. And I think as evaluators, we always can try to project where guys are, are going to be successful. But the realization is like in order to take that next step in your basketball journey, you have to have some confidence. You have to have something to build off of and be like, okay, game's slowing down. Everything's falling in place. Like now I really feel good about myself. And you know, that that's a, a snowball effect for everything that gets guys in the gym early gets guys to stay later because they're saying, okay, everything's really starting to get easier and I feel good about how I'm playing and I just think it's a it's a really important lesson to always keep in the back of your head. Like you have to have a guy that, if he doesn't have that confidence early on, is he willing to keep battling to to find it and and eventually become the best version of himself as he can on the court.
0: And we'll get into the individual breakdowns of all these mm-hmm. players, of course. But you know, sort of up top, it is interesting that a lot of the guys that you selected for this piece were top five picks. And that comes with, you know, on the one hand, the confidence of the organization, right? Saying, you know, Hey, we're going to take you with, you know, the number one, number two, number three, four, you know, whatever top pick they're using on you, you know, that comes with his own sort of confidence, but it also comes with his own sort of expectations, right? Anytime someone goes number one overall, they're expected to save the franchise, right? It's like, this is a team that was bad enough to, get the number one overall pick and they're selecting someone who's expected to come in and, you know, shore up the entire offense by themselves, right. Or, you know, be the defensive linchpin that takes the team from a bottom feeder to, you know, fighting for playoff contention. And, you know, the flip side of that, of course, is that there are a few guys on this list who are taken outside the lottery and, you know, that comes with its own set of expectations that's slightly different from a top pick. But it also comes with its own sort of confidence issues of, hey, if you're taken 30th overall, and you don't show something in the first two years, you know, maybe you're gonna have to fight to earn your spot in the NBA on a different team. Or maybe you'll have to, you know, go to the G League for a while to get a team interested enough to take that chance on you. It's the kind of thing where, you know, if you don't get the sort of confidence from the team that you're hoping for as a leader pick, you know that confidence can run dry pretty quickly if you're spending all your time on the bench.
1: Absolutely, I, I think the the biggest part is like I tried to with this piece to change it up a little bit and and get a little bit of a range when it came to like where these guys were selected. But you're spot on, Nick, when you say like you know if you're it almost is the higher you go on that draft order towards number one, the more pressure or expectations that comes with it um if if you're a terrible team you're looking at a guy to be like we need you to turn this around like no no pressure but you need to be the reason why everything turns around and especially if you're a number 1 pick and i think why i wanted to highlight some of those guys is there's people there's young players and young talent that have shown flashes in the nba but i really do think like when you a golden rule i've always been taught from scouts and people that have kind of mentored me is wait three years and reevaluate. And I do think like that third year is always the sweet spot. Um, Second year, sometimes you get that big jump, but I think third year is the big one where you're like, okay, let's reevaluate this player. And what's his trajectory now? Is he going to look like a max contract guy down the road? Or is this just starting to, you know, see the potential rise to the surface? And I think why I wanted to talk about guys that were going to take that leap is it, You see it. I wrote about it before with point guards. Like you see it happen at different times. And when it happens, it's so awesome to watch as a fan because you really start to see the confidence surging, the pieces are falling into place. And that's when we start to see like, Oh, like some of us as evaluators are like, there it is. Finally the potential and why I was so high on this guy. And some of us also get pleasantly surprised and are like, Whoa, there's way more to his game than I thought. And I, I, said that on a couple of guys on this list i was like i didn't see the ceiling this high with these guys like and and it's it's cool like that's a great time to be wrong because you could still like a player but be like i don't know if he has an all-star potential and then all of a sudden you're like this is great now i learned something and um you know this player's added another part of this game and i think that's where the confidence comes in like they felt confident enough about their ability to keep working and develop another part of their game so it's always interesting what comes with you know where you're drafted, where you're selected, um, and it's always really cool to see an organization that will be patient, that will allow the the year by year development and, and growth to happen. Well, we talked about
0: point guard expectations, we talked about number one overall pick expectations, and we talked about year three expectations. So I think most of you might know where this is going, but for those of you that don't, we're going to talk about the first player that Rucker discussed in this piece, Cade Cunningham. So, you know, former number one overall pick, right, point guard for the Detroit Pistons, entering year three, and the thing with Cade Cunningham, I mean— the biggest thing for him is just, you know, how much time he missed in the first couple of years due to injuries, which led to him not getting the kind of developmental time that he needed. But I mean, you know, when you saw the flashes of what he was able to do in his first year, you know, it was pretty clear that, oh, you know, there's some stuff that needs to be figured out, but yeah, there's the reason this guy was the number one prospect in this class with a pretty clear bullet heading into things.
1: Yeah. I've absolutely loved what I've seen from Cade to start this season i i think everything's fallen into place for him for sure um i know some people will focus on like three point percentage the turnovers but at the end of the day he looks like a guy that is your franchise superstar he looks like someone you give him the ball and you're like we need a bucket and cade can deliver um he's averaging over 22 a game i know from when i wrote these this piece like a lot of those numbers have changed so i, <laughs> I try to keep up to date with them and you know, it's just going to be interesting to see how that organization continues to build around Cade because they have a lot of really fun stuff developing with, you know, Jalen Duran and Asar Thompson. But I think Cade is quickly showing, like, he can be a problem in this yeah. league. And I mean that in the best way. Like, I, I'm i a big sucker for the guys that go spend the offseason playing with Team USA, even if you're on the select team. I think having that camp where you're playing against some of the best talent in the league is a confidence builder because yeah. you start to measure like, okay, where am I at? And everything we heard was Cade was just a, a bad man in those games and those scrimmages. And I think that's where you, like, when you read those reports, when you heard everything, you're like, uh Oh, like that's what gets me excited is like, uh Oh, that is a serious gasoline barrel thrown into a fire for confidence to be like all right, here we go. Like I'm preparing. Now I'm excited for the upcoming year. And I think we've seen that early on. Obviously he's got to get more efficient, consistent, but as you pointed out, Nick, like he's missed some important time for reps. Um, we were talking about in the no in ceilings group chat earlier. I was like, it's fascinating how a lot of guys that missed that first summer league and that first preseason, how valuable those reps are. And it's not just for like, we don't overreact to summer league, but just having those reps to get used to like, okay, the speed and everything and the preseason, I think it's really important. So Cade's kind of had that you know, and he had that one year he barely played. Cade's kind of had that like, okay, let's wait and see. And he's had that organization's had to be patient, but it looks like it's paying off. He's been great.
0: Shameless plug time on my other podcast, the Kings weekly podcast before the season, we talked with Eric Walden of the Utah jazz and one of the things that he brought up was just the difference in how confident the organization appeared to be to start the season in Keontae George versus Taylor Hendricks. And, yep. A huge part of the reasoning that Eric provided when he talked to Ray and I about it was, hey, Taylor didn't have the summer league that Keontae George did, right? Like he was sitting on the sidelines hurt. He didn't get that chance to show, hey, I can do this against NBA caliber guys, you know, not in an NBA game, right? It's summer league, but, you know, against NBA quality competition, I've proven that I can stay here and I can belong. And you know, Taylor Hendricks just recently had a great game for the Salt Lake City Stars in the G League, right? So it's the kind of thing where, okay, you know, maybe he's not building confidence at the NBA level that you might like early on, but if you miss that time, it can really lead to a much slower start to things than you might like. And I mean, Cade missed 70 games last year. That's huge for someone in year two. And, you know, especially for someone who in that limited sample size last season was averaging 26 and six, right? You know, it's the kind of thing where, that kind of injury can really, really hamper a player's career going forward. And so it is awesome to see that you know, early on, yeah, sure, there are some concerns about efficiency, but the confidence is there and the willingness and the ability to take over is there. And I'm so
1: pumped that you brought up that example because Keontae is the perfect example. Like for 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 teams or for fans that are trying to look at, at what I'm trying to talk about with some of these guys, Keontae had success he built confidence very early in summer league of being like, you know, he lost all that weight. He came into the draft process in great shape. And then it just blossomed right out of the gate in the salt Lake city, um, summer league. And he carried that over to Vegas and he looked fantastic. So he was building all this confidence of like, okay, I got a little bit more pep in my step. I, my playmaking has been great. I'm shooting the, the crap out of the ball. Now he's getting starts early on in his rookie year. And I think we can't, underestimate how important summer league is for just the young guys to start building a little bit of confidence now Keontae can start you know building off of his game and and it's going to be awesome to see how he progresses throughout his rookie year but going right back to kate i i just think it takes a little bit of the time and some guys find that confidence surge at different points and it can be an off season of work it can be um playing with team usa and, and you start to feel like okay okay i'm I'm this good. And you know, obviously, Cade's good. He was a number one pick. He was number one on a lot of our boards. Like he was special at Oklahoma State. But getting that production at the NBA level is a different story. And I think he's just been sensational.
0: Let's move on to another sensational year three player. And you put it perfectly at the start of this section. So I'm just going to quote directly from the piece here. When Franz Wagner was coming out of Michigan as a draft prospect, I thought he had the potential to be a heck of a complimentary piece down the road as a connecting piece. My goodness was that way off. (laughs) Yeah. That was basically my exact evaluation where I'm pretty sure I had him seventh in that class. He ends up going eighth. And, you know, my whole thing with him going seventh is this is a guy who's just going to be an incredible off ball defender. You know, has the potential to cover up for a lot of mistakes for a team and, you know, Six nine, six ten, really great size on the wing, you know, can handle, can pass. He's going to be a great fifth starter type, right? And it's like by year one, it was immediately clear. It's like, nope, he's going to be a lot more than that. And it's just incredible to watch how he played with Paula Bancara last season. And that young Orlando team, I mean, their trajectory is dramatically different because they got Franz with the eighth overall pick. And Instead of just being someone who, oh, yeah, really high floor, really great complimentary skill set, going to be able to help out the stars of a team, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that, no, actually he just is going
1: to be one of the stars of the team. He's been one of my favorite guys to watch this year. Um, And Orlando has been a joy to watch. They're just really fun. I feel like they're destined for the playoffs this year. I think they're going to take that leap. I, I love a lot of pieces on that team. It seems like that team is coming together of realizing, you know, their roles and and kind of that rotation when it comes to minutes and all the mouths to feed, I think they're finally realizing like a good system there. But Franz, like watching him um, to start the year for this piece, I just so many times on tape, I'm like, gosh, that's impressive. Like just, and he's not going to like overpower you with his stats. I think he's averaging almost 18.53 and and 1.2 steals on 40, 32, 85. But the important thing is with that team and him playing alongside Paulo, some nights it's Franz having 12, 5, and 6, and Paulo's the guy having 30. And then other nights it rotates. But just watching Franz on the court with how he is composed, he creates opportunities for his teammates, he's so shifty with the ball in his hands, um, he's just a problem. And and I, I wrote my piece, I really feel like, It's going to be a point where I feel like he's going to make an all-star team and we're going to be like, Franz is going to make an all-star team every year. Like I just feel he's that good. Um, It's tough with this league with how many wings there are and how many big names that are always getting voted in. But I feel like Franz is on that path of like, he's knocking on the door and deserves to be an all-star. I think he's an absolute stud in this league. I, I think he's their best player right now. And that's not a slander to Apollo. I just think Franz right now, is their best player, and I think Paulo will has a higher ceiling. Sure. Franz is just versatile all over the place. He's just very fun to watch.
0: Another year three player up next in Scotty Barnes, and you know of the you know three year three players we've talked about so far, Scotty Barnes was the one who won Rookie of the Year in this class. You know, and it's the kind of thing where because he was ahead of expectations his rookie year, I think there was a more outsized than there should have been expectation that he was going to take this massive year two leap of, Oh, wow. He was this, you know, surprise rookie of the year winner, you know, granted some of that was due to injuries for some of the other top guys, but you know, he was, you know, he was a solid rookie of the year winner and there was this expectation of, okay, you know, this rock, this Raptors team is in transition, right. You know, they're sort of moving from the, you know, top tier playoff team that they were into more of a rebuilding phrase. And, you know, he's going to, be the head of the snake of that rebuild. And so, you know, if he doesn't take the massive leap in year two that people expected, you know, that sort of leads to a reverse of it, right? Where they were, you know, he exceeded expectations his rookie year. And so then the expectations were set much higher for year two. And then he didn't meet those kind of expectations. And, you know, we've already gotten to an it takes time reference, right? Another sort of thing that we talk about all the time development isn't linear, right? It's the kind of right. thing where. Just because he didn't take that massive leap in year two doesn't mean that he can't take a massive leap in year three. And certainly the early
1: results from Scotty Barnes have been pretty impressive this year. He's been a freak of nature this year. He was one of my favorite prospects I've evaluated ever because I just saw this freakish dynamic weapon that really like if if the outside shot just came around on a respectable level, I was like, Scotty could be a beast. And he had that great rookie year and you're so spot on Nick, because the second year we were all like, Oh, now he's really going to take a leap. And it's funny because stuff like this happens with players. And it just goes back to that golden rule that I was always taught of like, wait three years. We're on three year three right now with Scotty. And it's, it seems smart to wait that third (laughs) year because after two years, I feel like there was Raptor fans that were like, yeah, maybe, maybe this is just him. Maybe we could move him. And he was thrown around and, Kevin Durant rumors at one point. People were like, yeah, we're not going to move Scotty for Kevin Durant. Now you're looking at Scotty Barnes and like, holy crap. Like, this is a serious leap. Um, I crunched some numbers. His last six games, he's averaged 19, 9, 5, 2, and 1. Yeah, that's Um, not bad. Not bad with 42, (laughs) 34, 75. But, like, it's been interesting. It's always fun when you get to see a a team with a new coach um, because you get to see, like, okay – do they see something? Does the style of play all of a sudden bring out another version of their player? And I think Scotty now is looking like a you're putting the ball in his hands, he's making plays for teammates, he's putting up big, big nights and scoring columns. He just looks sensational. He he looks like a guy that if we're trending this way, it's like Scotty should be in all NBA talks. He's just been awesome this year. So it it's really cool to to kind of see all of a sudden the big step happened this year um, because it, it gets tough when you all of a sudden, Oh, rookie of the year. Oh, that means next year you're going to be a, a star and a rising star right, in the league. Yeah. And sometimes we got to wait because that second year after winning rookie of the year, now everybody knows about you. Now everybody's ready for Scotty Barnes. And um, I, I just think, woof, he looks just sensational and Raptor fans should be pumped out of their mind.
0: So Scotty Barnes was one of your favorite evaluations in his year. Let's move on to someone who was, I don't want to say least favorite because that doesn't quite describe it right, but definitely the most nerve wracking evaluation for me in the last, in the last couple of years. And yeah. I really struggled with what to do with Shaden Sharp. And, you know, now entering year two, it seems that, you know, i I'm pretty sure I ended up having him seventh on my final board. And that was after a ton of movement up and down with extremely limited data because we had basically no film of Jane Sharp outside of, you know, some high school film a year on down the line because of the weirdness of his sort of college basketball situation. But clearly in year one, it seemed like the tools are going to overwhelm. And he's just such a ridiculously talented player that, as long as he starts figuring things out, he'll, he'll be fine because he has this athleticism to lean on. But what surprised me about Shaden Sharp in year one, the most was how quickly he developed on the defensive end, because I had no idea what that was going to look like being honest. It was like, okay, you know, he's, he's got the tools, but all I have is him defending against high schoolers, right? It's, It's difficult. It was very difficult for me to sort of figure out what to do with Shaden Sharp. And now this year in year two, you know, with the Damian Lillard trade with the Anthony Simons injury, there was a lot put on his shoulders. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where last year, I think I was certainly pleasantly surprised because I thought he might be more of a long-term project. Instead, he showed a lot very quickly, established himself pretty quickly. But, you know, this is a year where he could really establish himself as, you know, not just a key piece going forward, but, you know, maybe, maybe even the one or two guy on this team. And that will be very interesting to see how that shapes up with, with a Portland team where there's going to be a lot of opportunity and you know maybe not all that much pressure this season.
1: Yeah, I liked it. the rookie year. I like how Portland brought him and played him sparingly, but also allowed him to build a little bit of confidence. And then I always think that first offseason is so humongous for some of these guys. And I thought Shane Sharp was huge because it's like, now you're out of the media show of like, oh, you're a top prospect. You got to go do all these interviews and all this stuff. Now you get that full first off season and you get to see who's been working on their game. And, um, we saw him at summer league Nick. And we were all like, Ooh, man, some of these flashes are, are just outstanding. And when the report came out about Simons was going to miss some time, I was like, Oh, like this is the perfect opportunity for Shane sharp to get real run real reps. Um, and I was like, I'm just fascinated to see how he does. And it did not take long before I was like, "Oh my goodness!" And it's just the development with some of the important areas of his game, like you're saying, the defense. It's not like I'm saying he's a lockdown defender now, but you're seeing like weak side rejections. He's baiting guys to to get block him at the rim. Um, some good recognition off of the ball. The playmakings really impressed me. Like it, I was right there with you. I feel like I was even lower on him as a prospect because I was like we're going just off of a couple of games, a high school film on like, thank you synergy for even helping us with yeah. that possibility. Cause we were just like, all right, we got to keep rewatching these games and make an evaluation about a guy as a potential top 10 pick. And there was no denying that he could score and shoot the crap out of the ball. But now you're starting to see the versatility, the feel for the game. And I, I do think that's because he's in an opportunity right now. We're, Portland's feeding them confidence because he's got to be the guy. Scoot's out for a little bit. Simon's the sideline. They need someone to score, so they're leaning on him. And I think we're we're really starting to see how dangerous he can be.
0: All right, everybody, settle in because we've yeah, gotten here to the Morgan Murray portion of the podcast.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was just basically I wrote the article to just get to this point. Um, <laughs> okay, talk to me, Nick. Uh, let me throw it back at you. So, what have you thought early on? And and you obviously are no ceilings is night and shining armor because you edit all of our pieces. You have to deal with all of the garbage and make it look pretty. But am I right with what I wrote about for Keegan? Cause I feel like the numbers aren't awesome, but if you look at the last two games, he looks like he's starting to come alive again. And um, I feel like the flashes I've seen with the versatility offensively have been really fun. And it, it just guys like Keegan Murray, I feel like it, ta- it only takes a matter of time before he gets on fire and then the numbers the efficiency just spikes back up. But I feel like he's taking a lot of tougher shots this year. I feel like he's working to get the versatility going. I feel like with guys like that it's like just let him get the rust off, let him get the the feel and then I feel like everything's going to come into place. What have, what have you thought? I've thought that the stats of the last couple games
0: more reflect sort of what I feel like I've seen from Keegan this year in that he's been a lot more aggressive. He's been willing to pump fake guys and get into the mid range and pull up in the mid range. He's been driving to the rim a lot more than he was last year. I mean, the first couple months of last season, he was basically purely a spot up shooter. And like when you break the rookie three point record and shoot 41% from deep, like, okay, that's great. You know, a 12 points a game spot up shooter type is really valuable. And, you know, as we talked about with the article that we wrote on Keegan heading into the draft that year, right? It's like the question of man, he is just such a perfect fit for what this Kings team needs. And, you know, is it worth it to get that kind of guy in the building over, you know, taking the dice roll on Jaden Ivy was the other player that we brought up in that Keegan Murray dilemma discussion. And, you know, ultimately with Keegan, it was like, okay, so if that's the floor, right, you know, fifth starter, floor spacer, three point shooter. Great. But What fascinated me about what we started to see from Keegan down the stretch of last season was, okay, be a bit more aggressive, you know, look for your shot a little bit more. And he started doing that sometimes, but that was nowhere near to the level of what it's been this year of he's been much more aggressive in looking for his own shot. And part of that is because De'Aaron Fox has missed a bunch of time and the Kings desperately needed anybody who would drive to the basket and you know, for a couple games, it was basically just Malik Monk and um, uh, let's kick it out around the perimeter until Malik Monk could drive again. And Keegan taking a lot more responsibility on that end has been massive for the Kings period, but especially massive during the time that De'Aaron Fox has missed. And I've been incredibly happy with the process of what he's been doing on the offensive end even though again you know the efficiency has only crept up the last couple games but him being willing to take those shots is a huge added element for this kings offense but i've honestly been more impressed with him on the defensive end this season than the offensive end because first couple of months of last season he was like all rookies you know he very rarely you know knew where he was supposed to be you know got blown by quite a bit and you know, it was the kind of thing where it's like, OK, you know, there's a lot of kinks to be worked out on the defensive end. But, you know, he's a rookie. All rookies struggle on that end. It's fine. What has been the most shocking to me this season, because, you know, the offense stuff, as you mentioned in the piece, we saw him do that at Iowa. Right. right it's not right. like it's just a matter of is he going to be willing to have the confidence to do this in an NBA game? But the defense, I mean, he guarded Steph Curry. He's guarded Chet Holmgren, and he looked really impressive on both of them. And the ability to be a defender with length on someone like Steph Curry and also being able to be someone who can body up and strip the ball away from Chet Holmgren, that's the kind of defensive piece that the Kings have not had in a very long time. And, you know, it's early. He hasn't been perfect. I don't mean to say that by any stretch of the imagination, but based on the tape of his defense from the first couple months of his rookie year. I thought okay you know maybe he gets to the point where he's an average defender but it's going to take time and so far this year it's been oh wow he might be able to take on more of a defensive responsibility a lot sooner than I thought he would
1: it, it's so funny with Keegan because I've been seeing these numbers and when I watched all of his clips and possessions and I was like uh, it was weird because I was like the numbers don't match of how impressed I've been um and I think in a weird way, he's starting to now go back to the prospect we saw from Iowa. But, and that's really exciting because I think everyone thought like, Oh, he's just this really good movement shooter from outside because of his rookie year. And it's like, no Keegan, very versatile scorer. He's nasty. He's a good defender. And I think now the Kings know that his potential. So they're giving him a heavier plate load to take on. So yeah, it's like, He's probably exhausted from the defensive grind and trying to balance of like, now I have a heavier offensive responsibility and I've got to be locking in on defense. So that's why I'm not worried at all, because I think it's just going to take a matter of time for him to kind of get that balance together and figure it all out. And I mean, his year stats are 15, almost 15, seven and two on 39, 29, 86. But last two games, he's 24.5, 9.5 an assist, and two steals on 56-44-100. Yes, I know that's two games, but guys like Keegan, I feel like all of a sudden, you you'd get one good game and all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, here we go, Like, buckle up. This could be a nine-game stretch where he's really impressing. I think there's a world in which last year was like the confidence building to get him like, out. okay, you're an important part of the puzzle. Let's get the three-point shot. And now it's like they're wanting to bring the Iowa prospect and that world together. So in a weird way, he's almost going backwards. And if that happens, it's like, Whoa, this is the scary part. This is why you were drafted fourth overall. Cause I think that's where Kings fans need to get pumped up because if he starts looking like the prospect we saw again, Oh my goodness. Like that's a, a go-to guy. Like I know Fox is great. I know Sabonis is great, but Keegan, if it could be a guy that it's like, uh, We're building around Keegan like like he has that potential. I think he's just a two way star. That's just like, let's just wait and see until the all star break. But I I think Keegan's looks great. I think he's developing um, and it's just tough because people are like, he needs to be more efficient. It's like, no, just just wait. Those shots are going to start falling. Everything's going to start clicking and it's going to be a heck of a player.
0: And that's, I think been the part that's been most impressive to me is his calling carbs, that three point shot, right? And this season he's below 30%. I don't think he's a below 30% shooter, but what I have really enjoyed is, you know, in a couple of games where he's struggled, you know, last year it would have been the kind of thing where if he doesn't see a shot falling, he's just not going to, you know, he's going to be moving the ball the second he gets it. He's not going to be looking to attack the basket and, what i think the most impressive game in my mind from him this season was their game against okc on friday when he started out really slow i think he started out like 0 for six and 0 for five from three-point range or something like that and instead of just saying oh no this is not my game you know he just started getting a lot more aggressive he started attacking the basket a lot more he had 11 rebounds four offensive seven defensive and he got into the paint a lot more. And all of a sudden, the fact that he only went three for 10 from three-point range was an afternote rather than sort of the focus of, oh no, he had a bad shooting night. And it's the kind of thing where, look, if he established the floor last year as like, you know, that sort of fifth starter, 41% three-point shooter, floor spacer type of wing that I mentioned, if that's sort of the floor, him being able to be this good when he can't find a shot is such a positive sign because there are so many shooters who you know, if their shot isn't falling, then, you know, they'll just say, oh, well, guess I'm, guess I'm moving the ball today, right? Like my, my thing is not going to be taking as many shots as I can because they're not going in today, right? With Keegan, it's like, oh, so this is what he can do when he's not, you know, just being a floor spacer.
1: That's where the prospect comes back. Um, I hate when we have to give Metcalf praise, but Metcalf said about Keegan, he was like, Keegan at Iowa was death by a thousand cuts because it would just be like a boxer throwing jabs at you all night. And then all of a sudden the haymakers come. So I feel like even hearing you say that, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, like that's where he's great because he just, he keeps coming after you. And I don't think Keegan's ever going to be a guy where it's just like, stop shooting. Like I I feel like I see the clips where all the teammates are like, Keegan, shoot the ball. And Mike Brown's like trying to sub him out. And that's great because I think he's one of those like, okay, he wants to not be a guy that's like, I've got to get my own. But his teammates are like, Keegan, shoot, because they know how talented he is. So I, I think it's just understanding the uh, adaption and responsibility for Keegan this year. He's taking on a heavier plate, and um, I think it's only going to be a matter of time before everything kind of comes together. And he's just like, whoa, man, this is a bad dude right now.
0: Well, we're talking about Alper and Shang-Goon later, so we'll be able to get back yeah, at yeah, that calf. So it'll go. be fine. <laughs> Up next. We have Chet Holmgren, and yeah. it was very interesting to me that you put him on this list because technically this is year one for him, right? right? But you know, the flip side of it is that he's coming into year one with Paulo having been incredibly impressive and won the Rookie of the Year last year, and he's coming into this year competing with a similar-ish prospect with much more inflated hype in Victor Wembanyama, and. Yama. and you know, it could have in theory been easy for Chet to get lost in the shuffle. And yet he's been so spectacular to start this year that it's almost just like a, Hey, remember
1: me kind of thing. It's been awesome. I I, I felt, I called myself out on the piece. I feel like where I was like, I feel, I know this feels like cheating because I'm including a rookie, but I, what I wanted to point out was that I felt Chet was going to almost have this leap and taking the thunder to another level that people weren't, imagining because of how just impressive he is he's been ridiculous um he's been everything that we were hoping for no ceilings when we evaluated him he's looked just like we all thought he was gonna look um i've got a tape time video coming out this week where I, i talked about what he's doing on the court and how he's impacting and even watching those clips i was just like my goodness like this dude is freakish um he was Averaging, or he was in the 50 50 90 club, now it's 50 50 89 and a half. So,
0: uh, obviously well, described struggling. Them, obviously,
1: <laughs> but like that's ridiculous. He's he's averaging 16 7. 2 and 2.3 blocks and shooting 50 50, almost 90. It, it's unreal. He's been sensational. I, um, I talk you know with my old man about this, and I, I never like to compare anything to Larry Bird, but I always used to watch this Larry Bird documentary and Kevin McHale would always say Larry is such a good player because he can dominate a game and only take 12 shots. And Chet is the first guy I've felt like that quote just keeps ringing in my head because you look some nights and fans are like, why doesn't he shoot more? He's only shooting 10 or 12 times. And it's like, well, yeah, he went seven for 10 from the field, eight for eight from the free throw line, three blocks, eight boards, you know, it's just, he's efficient. Yeah, I think he understands when to look for his shot, when to take what the defense is getting him, and when to also move it to get a better shot for their team. So, he's been great. Um, I, <laughs> I would put him as rookie of the year, but I understand why he's probably got a, a really tough challenge with the media pumping up Victor. But um, yeah, it's 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 just been awesome to see him.
0: I mean, it's interesting. You know, I think the idea of him dominating the game without only taking 12 shots is exactly the right way to put it, you know, not just for Chet's game in specific, but for the Oklahoma City Thunder as a whole, right? That is right. not a team that struggles to score, right? right? Like Shake Hill is just Alexander, you know, Jalen Williams, you know, breakout rookie last year, right? You know, you've got Josh Giddy sort of running the show, you know, not quite a scorer yet, but it's not like that team struggles for scoring. What they really struggled with last year was just how small they were as a squad. Right. Like they were consistently running Jalen Williams out of the power forward because like, well, we don't, we don't know what else to do, right? We don't have any seven footers on the squad. And now it's like, okay, so Chet can come in and he's in this situation where, you know, the expectation is, okay, you know, be a defensive menace, take a good shot when you get the good shot, move the ball when you don't. And if you don't have a good shot, that's fine. We've got Shane Gilders-Alexander, right? We'll be able to find a good shot.
1: It's I, I talked about it on this video, but that I'm going to post this week. But it's it's funny because everyone I feel like some people are like, well, now they need to get a a, a natural five to put next to Chet and put him as a four. And I'm and I'm watching these clips. I'm like, no, they don't, <laughs> because offensively they are a nightmare to deal with because they're putting Chet in position where he's he's running pick and rolls as a ball handler, and then you got SGA over here, you got Jalen Williams over here, you got Giddy over here. It's just it's ridiculous it's it's so cool to see you know what their coaching staff's drawing up when it comes to sets and designs it's it's really cool so yeah i mean they look very fun they yeah. they just look like a team that has been worth the hype they're only going to get better with playing time together and chemistry building and then each year i feel like with Presty having 900 picks it's going to be like gosh they're just going to keep adding you know treasure pieces to the yeah to the chest where it's like case and wallace has been great for them too so yeah chet's just been awesome um it, it's really cool everyone tries to go bully him people try to go dunk on him and he's doing exactly what he's been doing since gonzaga he's like no okay come on like well, i'm challenging i'll accept the challenge and um he's altering a lot of shots every game too without blocking a shot like people drive after you know, he's had a couple blocks, people are driving on him and they're like, oh shit. And they pull it back out and get rid of it. Like I think he's getting some some mutual respect around the league already with some teams.
0: And I still remember very vividly from my first summer league when we were watching the No Saints crew was watching the Thunder and they ran out a lineup. I believe it was Josh Giddy, Aaron Wiggins. Jalen Williams, Usman Jang, and Chet Holmgren and basically we're all looking at each other and it's like, okay, so they replace Aaron Wiggins with SGA and they have five guys who can bring the ball up, you know, no one under 6'5", just absolutely insane mix of offensive talent and that's just you know, again, that was the Sans SGA version of this lineup, right? Just, yeah. you know, a bunch of bunch of 19 and 20-year-olds with massive positional size who can bring the ball, any one of them can start the fast break. Any one of them could bring the ball up. It was just wild to think about. And you know, now we're starting to see the fruits of that really
1: come through. It's, it's nutty because just going off of what you just brought up, like I saw a game where Giddy got a rebound and threw it out to Chet to run the break. I was like, how many times do you see like one of the best playmakers in the league be like, Chet, you run it up. You run the break. like, And Chet ran the break, got down in the middle of the paint and threw a dime in the corner for a three. It's just like it's freakish. Like it, it's just... It's special stuff. It's versity, versatility. Versatility. It's awesome. So, excuse me, there. I oh lost, my, lost my breath trying to talk about Chet. And, you know, what's that?
0: <laughs> I mean, hey, it happens.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's just been awesome. I, I mean, I could talk about Chet for an hour, but I don't. You know, I don't want to bore everyone.
0: Yeah. We, I mean, we could have talked for an hour about Keegan too, but oh, you know, yeah. there's I'm
1: still fired up about that.
0: <laughs> only so many hours in the day, right? <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, he's been great. I I I'm, I'm pumped. You know, we're recording this before the the Victor Chet showdown. I'm pumped to watch that one tonight too. So
0: So another very impressive young big man here, Jalen Duran. And Jalen Duran, I will always remember the no ceilings discussion on draft night that night, where Jalen Duran ended up going thirteenth and ended up getting shipped to the Pistons, where basically everybody was like, Wait, they got Jaden Ivey in Jalen Duran? Like and He has come in and just been everything that everybody who was high on him could have hoped for. I mean, starts out year one and immediately is, you know, almost a double-double guy, absolutely massive lob threat, you know, starting to pick up some of the defensive stuff that, you know, there were concerns about his motor heading in. I was not concerned about his motor by like game 10 of last season. And, you know, he's taking another step forward this season. And, you know, we talked earlier about Cade, right? And they also picked Asar Thompson fifth this year. But a whole lot of the future of the Pistons is going to be dependent on just what kind of talent Jalen Duran can be on both ends of the floor. But, I mean, you know, the defensive stuff is certainly starting to come around. But already just the amount that he can contribute to an offense is you know, the kind of thing where you expect that to happen for a big man much further down the developmental timeline than what we've seen from Jalen Duran so far.
1: Yeah, I thought we were going to get this type of Jalen Duran next year, and the fact that it's already happening in his second year is just unbelievable. Um, he just looks like a, a guy that's been in the league for eight years, and it's ridiculous when you think of how young he is. I think he's just turned 19. Um, he, he's just been awesome, and I think we. I was lower on Duran to start out as a prospect. And then he had that great kind of finish to the end of the year for Memphis. And I was like, okay, like I could buy into this, like this looks fun. And then um, I was like, man, I, I want him to go to the right place. Like I want him to go to somewhere good. And then he ends up going to Detroit and I was like, whoa, that's a great place to go. Like, I just think watching him on tape, there's a lot of stuff that they're making it simple for him, but he's also it's like hustle plays. It's him throwing down tip dunks. It's him flying out of nowhere for rejections. He gets it. He's playing his butt off. You can really see that he's, uh, he's surging with confidence when it comes to like, okay, I'm one of these young talented bigs. That's really becoming a name in this league. And um, I think he's averaging 12, 10 and three with a a block, a game right now. Um, Like to see he's shooting around 75% from the line. So it's just checking a lot of boxes and, you know, Detroit had all this young talent and we were like, okay, who's going to be the pieces. And now it looks like, Oh, it's Cade and Duren for sure. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you got your point guard, you got your center. And now, you know, Asar has been fantastic, but um, that's a fun way to like, when you're a rebuilding team, if you can get those two pieces down, then things get easier to start building. Cause you're like, okay, I got a really talented big man. That's going to be good for a very long time. And I got a really good point guard. And I, I just think Duran even like you you see some flashes of some some post-up stuff, some, you know, he's getting in the lane, throwing shoulder fakes and throwing hooks. Like there's just really good stuff for a second year raw guy that we were all like, yeah, this might take a little bit. And now it's like, whoa, you're cheating the curve. So um, he's looked great.
0: I mean, especially in the NBA, the way it is these days, right, you have your bookends, you have your point guard, you have your center, and everybody else is pretty interchangeable, right? And it doesn't even have to be, you know, point guard and center in the sort of traditional terms, right? You have your offensive primary initiator, you have your rim protector slash lob threat, depending on the team. And then, you know, you can fill in the other pieces where they fit, right? Like, assar thompson you know maybe he bulks up and becomes a four because the shooting doesn't come around or maybe he really works on his shooting gets a lot better on that front and he's you know a wing defender kind of spacing piece you know that's sort of a more assar based discussion on you know the versatility of his skill set leads to a lot of different potential projections but you know the good news for detroit is when they have you know the point guard in the center it's like okay everybody else you know fit in where you fit in rather than oh we really need you know we need a rim protector, right? We need to find someone who, and, you know, I tend to lean on the Kings because they're the team I watch by far the most, but the difference that JaVale McGee has made already in short run of, oh, wow. Now we have a lob threat and rim protector, you know, granted with the Kings, he's coming in as a backup because the the Sabonis, obviously, but you know, the concept here for the Pistons is okay. You know, we've got a defensive anchor in the making and we've got an all NBA point guard in the making, right? Where does everybody else fit in? Rather than we need to fill a specific niche. It's like, well, the two hardest ones to fill we've got already.
1: It's it's almost like trying to find these blue chip pieces. Um, you know, we always look like blue chip when it comes to recruit and or or going to college and stuff. It's but like you can put it that way for NBA pieces. Like teams need to find those solid guys they can lean on. Like the Kings, when they got, I know they got rid of Halliburton and we all loved Halliburton, but they got Sabonis with De'Aaron Fox, which is like, there's your two blue chip pieces now when it's the offense. Like, you can either have that point guard that pushes the tempo or you can have a talented big like Sabonis. And I think Detroit, we're starting to see like they might be having their blue chip pieces where like Cade looks like he's going to be a superstar. Duran looks like he's going to be a star and now you want to start building around those stars and they have a lot of young talent that's still trying to kind of blossom. And a star looks like he's on that path. Marcus Sassers look great, yeah. but now that you have those two big pieces, it gets easier to start adding around it. It gets easier to start figuring out, but it's like you said, like Duran's been a lob threat with, with upside potential. Um, he's shown some playmaking stuff. It's been sensational. He's just a really special talent that's starting to, to really find the best basketball ahead of them.
0: So we've been talking throughout this episode about the year three leap. And the next guy on this list had his year three leap. Devin Vassell of the San Antonio Spurs. And, you know, he did miss a lot of time last season, which you mentioned at the top of the piece, but when he did play, it was very clear that, Oh, he's, he's taking the leap. I mean, he went from very minimal playing time, his rookie year to, you know, occasional starts, 12 points per game, you know, four rebounds a game, his sophomore year to year three, it was like, oh, okay, he's, he's really starting to figure it out. I mean, you know, you say in the piece, 18 and a half points a game, you know, just under four rebounds, just under four assists per game, you know, really making an impact on the defensive end. And ultimately just being the kind of piece that, every team wants, right? Like incredible floor spacer, three and D talent can fit around pretty much any kind of roster piece. And it's interesting for me because I admittedly was not as high on Devin Vassell his year as he ended up getting picked. I did not have him in the top 11. I'm, you know, (laughs) trying to remember where I had him off the top of my head and I can't quite get there, but definitely did not have him in the top 11. And, you know, clearly based on what happened in year three, he's really establishing himself as someone who's a guy and, you know, for this Spurs team that just got Victor women in the building, you know, they don't necessarily need a superstar. If Victor is what he seems to be and what we thought he would be heading into things, but someone like that needs talented pieces around him. And, you know, it can go from something as simple as having a caretaker point guard, like Trey Jones to run the show to having someone who you can say, this is probably going to be the number two guy. Right. And with Devin Vassell, I think he sort of leapfrogged Keldon Johnson in the, yeah, he's going to be, you know, the clear sort of secondary guy on this squad. And so far this year, he's shown that a lot of what he showed last year in his breakout is really carrying over.
1: Absolutely. He is one of those guys that I keep watching this year, obviously when you try to watch Victor, but Vassell just keeps jumping all over the screen. Just really impressing. I think the confidence is completely surging with him of, He's he's working to get to his spots. You go watch that game they played against the Suns. Um, They're on the road, and Vassell just took over at the end of the game. And Victor's so special, but I think Victor still is going to be raw and take time with stuff. And he's not at a point right now where in every game they're like, "Oh, it's a close game. We got to feed you the ball at the end of the game." Vassell's kind of taking on that role, and um, right now is he's shooting fifty forty two seventy five. Like, I think it's just he's one of those guys that you, because the Spurs were struggling last year, you you lost a little train of thought of like how good he was. And then now you're really seeing like some of the stuff he's doing on the court when it comes to navigating to his spots and lightning quick release from, from deep. That's high up. He's tough to, to deal with some of the creative finishes. I love how aggressive he's been getting to the free throw line. Like that's the type of areas I think guys really start to cement themselves as serious pieces with an organization. And and it feels like when I wrote this piece, I was like Vassell was one of the guys I really wanted to highlight because I really feel like the leap is happening with him. And obviously it might not look as obvious with his stats. um, But I do think the growth in areas where it comes to like the free throw attempts and all that stuff really stands out because he's understanding now where to get to his spots and how to make, Life easier. A lot of young guys want to just focus on shooting and scoring, but some guys that are smart will be like, "I can make life easier for me if I can get to the line. If I can build some real estate there." So I think vassell has been fantastic. I I think there's your like you just said, there's your second piece. And right now he's playing sensational, and I feel like it's like okay, now you have cell lengthy defender that's really starting to come into the the potential he has, and Victor to build with, and jeremy sohan so they've got a foundation they just you know gotta find a point guard (laughs) yeah
0: so up next we have someone who i think is a really fascinating discussion to have in this piece i think well certainly the current all-time record holder and probably will hold that record for a long time of most frequently mocked by no ceilings to go to the team that they ended up going to we must have mocked mark williams going to the charlotte hornets like I think over 50% of the mock drafts we did that year because it was the most obvious fit in that draft possible, right? It's like, okay, we've got a team that has LaMelo Ball running the show that is god-awful on defense. They need someone who can be a mature presence in the paint on both ends and catch lobs from LaMelo on one end and block shots on the other. Oh, how about Mark Williams? That works pretty well. And then we proceeded to do that seven or eight more times. And the fascinating part for Mark Williams with me is – he could have, you know, cautionary tale is strong, but he could have ended up, you know, being sort of a cautionary tale in the sense of, you know, starts the year with the team, doesn't really get all that much playing time. Clearly they didn't have the kind of belief in in him that some people did. I mean, you know, I'm certainly a f- fan of his for the kind of player he is, but Nick Richards getting playing time over Mark Williams was not a strong statement about where Mark Williams was. And then they send him down to the G league with the green bearer swarm. He absolutely destroys everybody in front of him. And, gets that confidence back pretty quick. And, you know, he started playing more of a role down the stretch of last season, but early in year two, it seems pretty clear that that was actually really good for him. You know, there are some players who admittedly take being moved to the G league as a demotion of, Oh, you know, the team doesn't believe in me. They're sending me down to the minor league club, right. Instead of the opposite approach of, okay, there's some stuff that I need to work on. The team thinks there's some stuff that I need to work on. I'm going to get this playing time in Greensboro that I wasn't getting for the big league squad. And I can show them that I deserve more run with the big league squad by being a destroyer of all worlds in the G league. And that's exactly
1: what he did. It's the best resource in the NBA for these guys. And I think every single fan base takes it as a negative. If a guy's like, Oh, he's in the G league. Cause the first comment is he's dominating the G league. Why isn't he up here? Like, why isn't he playing for us? And it's like, because he would be playing eight minutes and you'd rather have him getting heavy reps and working on his game. And I had no problem with them putting Mark Williams down in the G league as a rookie. Cause I was like, he needs those reps. He needs to work on his craft and understand, you know, the why I love the G league so much is I'd rather have a guy playing down there than sitting mm-hmm. on the bench and just watching and, and, yeah. and his legs are getting tired and falling asleep. I'd rather have him playing and getting reps. And he has been just what I thought he was going to be as a prospect this year, he's been awesome. He, I think he just had a 24 rebound game against the Knicks. Like he's just, he was a very easy evaluation and I will back up Nick because every single time we had a mock draft war room with the no ceilings team, I think we all tried to steer away from it. And we couldn't because we were like, it's the most obvious fit ever. They need it more than anything in the world. They've been trying to find a center for almost a decade, like the hornets need Mark Williams and the intel was fantastic about him um but he's been awesome um he's averaging 18 and 10 in his last 5 games like he's been exactly what they need for that team and um a lot of times on tape when i was watching him it's just tip dunks big plays you know just a, a looks like a building block for them of like okay we we found our center for moving forward um they got Brandon Miller they got Lamello, whatever, but they have a center that's gonna be consistent.
0: Speaking of looking like a building block at center, this is yeah. the part of the podcast where we get to make up for our disgusting earlier praise of Tyler Metcalf by <laughs> throwing each other alley oops for a few minutes and dunking all over him. Alperin Shangoon, also known on this podcast as Future Hall of Famer Alperin Shangoon, because that was by far my favorite bit that I ever did with Metcalf on deep dives before he, you know, abandoned me. It's fine. Um, anyway, moving on. So Alper and Shankun, the Houston Rockets have, in my opinion, been by far the most surprising team of this young season. I was very concerned by how the Kings were going to look this year when the Rockets stomped all over them in two consecutive games. And then they proceeded to just continue winning. And the main driving force of that has been Alper and Shankun, who so far is having a breakout year three. And again i was as high on him as i was heading into you know his draft year because i really believed that the offense would translate you know my whole thing was look this is a 19 year old mvp of euroleague right he clearly has figured things out against you know grown men against professionals that a lot of players never figure out and yes the defense is going to be a huge concern like i wasn't glossing over that by any stretch of the imagination but my thought process was Look, anybody who dominates a professional league at nineteen the way he has and has the passing vision and you know scoring talent as a big man the way he does, he's gonna be able to find some place in the NBA. And, you know, some place in the NBA was okay, you know, he'll he'll be a solid rotation piece, right? But he quickly established himself as no, I'm I'm more than that. You know, the the concerns about the defense, sure, but you know, there was a reason that he was the MVP of your league at 19, right? And this year, so far, he has been the leading force of the Houston attack. I mean, just under 20 points a game, eight rebounds a game, six assists per game. I mean, it's the kind of thing where, you know, he's really cementing himself so far this season as someone who, no, I'm not just a helpful offensive center. I'm someone who you can run the offense through and have it be effective. And for Houston to take the leap they have this year, a huge part of that rests on Alpern and Schengen going from solid starting center to someone who you know might be in top 10 center discussion sooner rather than later
1: i've never had the opportunity to do this so i just have to do this i have to actually do an editor's note nick because oh, you said okay. mvp of Euroleague league and he was the mvp of turkish league because oh my bad. It's, my bad it's okay because no but that's the funniest thing um and it goes back to everything you're saying because i agree with it is he was mvp of turkish league everyone was like is the Turkish League that good? And it's like there. I understand getting to a point where like you point out the competition level, but also watching a guy do what he did as a prospect, you're like, that's going to translate. Like yeah. he is going to be. He is so gifted offensively. He's going to figure that out. He's so smart, and he's been magnificent this year. I, I think why I was so high on him as a prospect is because I was just like. Everyone was focusing on the defense. There's always something with a prospect everyone wants to hammer home and and focus and be like, well, I'm not high on him because of the defense. And I'm like, is the other parts of his game so impressive that we can like, eh, if he's average defensively, where is this guy at? At
0: Tyler Metcalf.
1: Yeah, at Tyler Metcalf. (laughs) And he was so, his feel was unbelievable for a big man people were worried about the athleticism. And I was like, I'm seeing him posterize people in Turkey as a young, unfinished product. Like I'm okay with that. And then you're seeing it like right now, this year, he's throwing down monster slams on people. Um, it's awesome. And it, this also goes to show what a disaster they were last year. And now what a new coaching staff to holds everyone accountable and ever gets everyone in place. Like this team had potential. They had talent. It was just like, they needed someone to steer the ship and, Um, it's awesome to see them kind of playing almost through Shingun. Sometimes his numbers have been fantastic. Some of the passes he's already thrown this year. You're like, it it is freakish. And that's why people joke and say baby Jokic, but he's just very crafty. He's been so impressive and he's been awesome. And it, it, you know, whenever teams like this out, out of nowhere, just all of a sudden start cooking. It's so cool. And you, you almost root for it to stay consistent because it's a great little wrinkle now. And, um, they're, they're exciting, but you know, we always have to be like, okay, let's see if it can survive because every team faces adversity and it's like, okay, let's see if, if Houston faces a little adversity, how can they respond? But they've looked great. It's been shocking, but awesome. Yeah, uh, I do
0: appreciate the editor's note. Do say that first of I'm sorry. Yeah. It, no, 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 no. I you, genuinely very much appreciate it. No, I okay. very much like to be corrected when I'm wrong on these things. I guess that's why I'm the editor in the first place. But, you well, know, if he
1: was Euro League MVP, I'd be like, okay, he goes first.
0: Yeah. No, that's,
1: <laughs> I would have been like, why did I not have him first? But I hear oh, you. It, it, also, a fair first. point. Yeah. It's like he would have been a first overall pick. Yeah. <laughs> you should have. Well, uh, uh,
0: I mean, Luca wasn't, though. So,
1: yeah. Well, I think he was. Uh, whatever. The first overall pick? No, 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 EuroLeague MVP.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's so what I'm saying. It wasn't
1: first pick, so I guess, yeah.
0: I'm, yeah. I'm more confident that Luca was your League MVP.
1: No, yeah, so I was like, what? No. But we almost had back-to-back editors. That would have been just a mind.
0: Like that's... A,
1: an absolute mind eraser, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's when my head explodes live on air and someone else has to post the podcast.
1: <laughs> that would have happened.
0: So, moving on to another three year 3 guy, Jonathan Kaminga for the Warriors and as you say in the piece, the Jonathan Kaminga experience has been a roller coaster. Right. Yeah. And that's that's I think the best way to describe it because you know, he's gone from someone who okay, there's a clear, you know, potential role for him on this team, you know, is he developed enough to earn that playing time? Is he, you know, going to get the minutes that he needs to develop because Certainly, you know, when we talk about, say, James Wiseman and, you know, this is my payback for the Tyrese Halliburton comment earlier is bringing up James Wiseman. But, you know, they just they didn't have the developmental space that they needed for him. But with Kuminga, at least in my mind, anyway, it was easier to see the way that he got to those minutes. And, you know, again, as you said, it's been some moments of, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, he's he's, you know, going to be a key piece for them. Like, I I get it. I get the role that he's going to fulfill. And then there have been other times where, you know, it looks like, okay, if he's going to earn playing time, he's going to need to be better defensively than he's been. He's going to need to be more consistent defensively than he's been. The shot needs to come around at least a little bit more, but you know, time and again, you see the flashes from him and think, wait, why doesn't he play more? And then time again, you'll see the exact opposite of wait. That was the kind of possession that you expect from a teenager. Is there a place for that on this Warriors team?
1: Yeah. He's, he's one of the guys I wrote in that piece that I was, a little like, all right, and maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but I, I just watched him in preseason. He looks so much better, so much more confident. Numbers wise, like the efficiency hasn't been there this year, but you're seeing a jump in, in production. I hope that means that everything will level out. We'll see. I just he he looks more confident, and he's still so young. Um, I think he's getting an extended chance now to really kind of put his foot in the ground and cement himself as a as a piece and I've liked some of the flashes I've seen Um, I'm just kind of keeping a close eye on him because I'm wondering if like this is a guy where he has a really solid five game stretch and then everything starts to really click and you never know maybe this is a guy that gets the all-star break and then that second half of the season really has a nice groove Um, I I just think Kaminga the flashes have always been so interesting and i'm right there with you you see a flash and you're like why don't they play him more and then he he plays more and you know has a minute stretch where it's like oh or five minute stretch where he goes one for five from the field and struggles and you're like okay but i think the confidence him getting his shot getting to the free throw line it looks better now now it looks like it's on path when it comes developmental perspective but um you want to see that efficiency start to come around too
0: So at the top of the podcast, I talked about how a lot of the players on this list were top picks who, you know, they came in and the team expected them to be a huge part of turning that around right away. And that there were other guys who were later picks who maybe, you know, would be likely to struggle with confidence by not getting the playing time they needed earlier on. And that counterexample was specifically directed at the player who we're going to talk about now, Peyton Watson, who came into his freshman year at UCLA as one of the top players in his class, you know, 12th by ESPN ninth by 24 seven sports and viewed as a lottery pick coming into the year, had a very inconsistent time at UCLA, barely earned playing time, which certainly based on the flashes, you could argue was more Nick Cronin than Peyton Watson, but ultimately ends up going 30th to the Denver Nuggets, you know, team that won the title last year. And, It was the kind of thing where I think most of us could see, all right, I get that this is the team that's taking that, you know, long-term developmental sort of look at Peyton Watson, but it was also the kind of thing where, you know, there was a minor concern, at least on my end of, you know, this is a guy who was viewed as a lottery pick coming out of high school, did not get the confidence he needed from his college coach and is going to a team with a very loaded roster. Is he going to get the reps that he needs to become the kind of player we thought he could be heading into college or is he going to be i mean you know the list is endless right of guys who were super highly touted high school recruits struggled in college you know maybe went back for a year or maybe declared and got taken like late in the first round as sort of a flyer and then never panned out right with watson there was every chance for that opportunity to happen but you know part of him going to a team that needed the kind of athleticism and size that he brings is that You know he did have a few avenues at least, which was certainly more than he had
1: at UCLA. He's been awesome this year. I've loved, and everyone will look at his stats and be like, "What are you talking about?" It's just like, no, the the leap is coming, and there's more leaps ahead, and it's (laughs) going to get really exciting for him. But yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it was ninth, um, the ninth ranked recruit in high school by ESPN he went to UCLA. Everyone's like, I wonder how this is going to work and just struggle to get minutes. And I think that's one of the biggest scouting lessons I've ever learned too is like one year doesn't tell everything. Um, Jane McDaniels is a great example of that about his year at Washington. And I got to see Peyton Watson in person and um, the whole game I'm watching, he's not in. And then they, I'm like, they, I think me and Albert were there and they finally check him in and I like hit Albert on the leg and got on the edge of my seat. And he came in and had like, a bucket, a block, a steal, and an assist in like two minutes or like in a minute and a half. And I was like, what the world? Like, or two blocks. It was just like, whoa. It was just all over the place. It was like letting a monster out of a cage. And then when Denver drafted him, I was just like, oh, man. Like, Because it wasn't just Denver drafting him. It was Denver drafting Christian Braun earlier and then doubling down to get Watson, where I was like, you just got your early rotation guy to come in and be a smart player. And then you got your swing for the fences with Peyton Watson. And I thought forever, I was like, Hey, that's going to be a year two guy. Like they're going to let him run wild year two. And we saw him at summer league looked much better. Looked like a guy that's fine all over the place. I think he's going to be fine as an outside shooter. You know, he'll be respectable, but just the impact he has already when he comes in, he's a defensive anchor in a weird way. Like he's just kind of a madman where you let him run wild and he gets a block here. He gets a slam here. like, that's a guy that's getting confidence now because he's getting consistent minutes in the rotation. And I think it's only going to keep improving his game. And then, you know, his minutes will start going up. So I, I just think watching Peyton Watson closely, like it's going to be fun to watch his development for a team that looks like they're going to try to contend again for a title. Like he might be your, your wild card, your joker in the deck that you're like, Oh, we'll throw out Peyton Watson in a playoff series. And someone's going to like, oh, get this guy off the court, you know, like, cause yeah. he's just like a nightmare defensively.
0: So obviously the moment that I was looking forward to most about this was the Keegan Murray discussion, but second on the list, very clearly for me, we get to talk about Jalen Suggs and (laughs) Jalen Suggs was someone who I absolutely loved in his year. And the main reason for it is I saw him as this potential menace on both ends of the floor. I loved the defensive film. I loved a lot of the offensive stuff. I think I was, I'll admittedly say, I think I was a lot higher on his passing playmaking sort of general point guard skills than ended up panning out. But as you say in the piece, I think you put it perfectly. Personally, I think all of us as fans of the NBA can get caught up on the development of a specific skill for a player. And, you know, that was a huge part of it for me of year one, you know, I was, I was expecting him to be more of an offensive presence than he was. And, you know, year two started to come around and he still wasn't, you know, picking up enough of the offensive stuff. And I started to get worried about, you know, is he going to be the kind of player where your first two years don't really pan out and the team gives up on him? right and instead you know what we saw is he started just keying in a lot more on the defensive end of the floor and you know it's not like he was at any point a bad defender I mean I had him evaluated as a pretty big plus defender coming into the draft but it was fascinating to see him sort of pivot to all right you know maybe I thought I was going to be the star guy heading into the league, but turns out defense is really my calling card and I'm going to focus in on it and he quickly became one of the better young defensive guards in the league and it's the kind of thing where you know now in year three he's got you know a little bit more offensive responsibility but a lot of my concerns of oh no is he going to flame out have been overridden by him establishing himself on the defensive end to the point where yeah this is going to be a guy who gets minutes just on the defense alone and then can the offense come around enough to have him be you know not just a rotation guy but like one of the premier defensive guards
1: in the league and I certainly think he has the potential to get there. He's been one of my favorite guys to watch this year. Um and I I really mean that like I, I, I was watching Suggs for this piece and he was the one guy obviously there's a lot of talented guys on this one but Suggs I like kept digging for more film. I was just like, man, he looks good. Like he looks better and what I was trying to get at in my piece where I was like, we, we focus, we fascinate as fans, I do it too, um, about like, oh, th- this guy hasn't been a great shooter. I need the three-point shot to develop. Like, we all do it. Yeah. But I feel like at the same time, we're missing something else to develop. And what that is with Jim Thugs is I think he's developing into one of the best guard defenders in the league right now. Um, his last four games, he's averaging 15-3 almost 4 assists and 2.3 steals while shooting 45 41 68 from the line but hey we're okay with the line. Um exactly. but he, on the year he's 41 35 80 um but it's just the the versatility you see some nights he's doing a little bit of everything. He's playing outstanding defense. He's being a hustle guy. Um I'm not there yet, but like I, I'm I'm a Celtics fan. Everyone should know this. <laughs> And watching Suggs right now, I get early career Marcus Smart vibes. And I'm wondering if that's kind of where Suggs mentally is starting to realize, like, I can become a pest defensively. This is how I could really be living up to where I was selected. And, and, you know, he's still, the offense is showing flashes of, like, getting on the border of taking that next step of being like, okay, but I I think there's some smart reads. There's some good stuff where he understands like when to attack. I think he's just the game slowing down for him defensively, which you just drafted a really good defensive guard too with size. So now if you all of a sudden have a backcourt and I know like magic fans would hear this and be like, well, what about Markel Fultz? And what about, I understand they have a lot of talent, but I'm just saying Suggs now I think is, becoming a very big part of that future of the organization where if you have him, you have Anthony black to develop and you you just got a lot of talent. So I've been very excited from what I've seen from sucks this year. I I was very high on him as a prospect. Um, I thought he was going to be a guy that probably took a little while to get his, his footing and kind of find his groove, but it looks like it's happening now. And he's one of those guys I'm thrilled to watch throughout the year because I think Orlando is going to be, in some big games. And I think Suggs is going to be one of those guys that I feel like these guys always have that moment where they really like start to get some noise. And it's like, usually it happens in a playoff series where this guy plays out of his mind. Like Christian Braun is a rookie. Like everyone was like, Whoa, that guy looks like he's going to break out. Suggs maybe has that moment um, on a national spotlight. And we start to be like, okay, here comes another step in his development. So he's been great. The Marcus Bart comparison is fascinating.
0: And, you know, Very good. Don't throw it around
1: easily. I don't throw it around easily. I probably Oh, I know you don't. No, I'm just saying like where he's he's becoming impactful without the outside shot. Like he's becoming a guy you need on the court. And that's where I'm just getting at it. Like maybe he's buying into that. Like, hey, I can let my defense keep me on the court while everything continues to cook. Does that make sense? No, it makes
0: total sense. I mean, just as a surface comparison, right? Like, okay, you know, I get the concept, but if you look deeper into it, right? I mean, Marcus Smart, you know, sixth overall pick, you know, coming out of OK State, a lot of people thought he would be, you know, this offensive dynamo, you know, attacking the pain at will, getting shots for his guys. And instead, you know, he morphed into, you know, okay, he's someone you can trust with the ball in his hands, but you don't want him running the offense. What you want him doing is, Being a defensive menace, being a disruptor. And, you know, it's a very high ceiling, right? But it's, there's a lot of similarities in their profiles, even beyond just, okay, this is the direction where I should morph my game. You know, it's two guys who are, you know, top half of the lottery picks who the offensive stuff didn't quite pan out. And so they locked in on the defensive end. And I mean, Marcus Smart's had a long and successful career based on that. And hopefully we can see the
1: same from Jalen Suggs. Yeah, you might have just inspired my uh, next article to write for for No Ceilings Plus, so thank you, Nick. I mean, even looking at their stack comparisons, you see a lot of similarities, and, I mean, you never know. It's just guys that are really smart and stay around in the league figure out a way to stay around. Like They're like, okay, I'm not going to be a guy that drops 20 a game, but where else can I be uh, an impactful piece? And I think Suggs is starting to feel out right now like, I could be consistent, you know, bring 10 to 15 a game and all of a sudden add a couple of assists and filling up the box scores. I think he's just, this is a great path. This is a a very good piece for the Magic.
0: So up next, you wrote about Jalen Johnson for the Hawks. And Jalen Johnson is an interesting one, I think, for this exercise in the sense that he has a role this year that he's never filled before for the Hawks. and so you know, in a sense, this is kind of, you know, it's not sort of a, not a prove it year in the sense of like, if he doesn't excel, then, you know, he's out of chances. Right. But it is a sort of prove it year in the sense of, okay, you are taking a very large step up in role. I mean, from his rookie year where he played just barely over a hundred minutes total the entire year to last year when he was a part of the Atlanta rotation, but made six starts he's made six starts already in his first nine games. Right. And, you know, he's gone, he's averaging 14 points a game, you know, over eight rebounds, two and a half assists. He's got a lot more of the Atlanta offense in his hands this year than he's ever had before. And they're asking him to do a lot more than they ever have before. And so far it's looking pretty solid. And it'll be interesting to sort of see how that goes as the course of the season winds along, because, this is really a big chance for him and you know if he fills it to the level he's been filling it so far that really does alter sort of the trajectory of where his NBA career might look like it's going because again from last year to this year that's a very sizable step up and if anything he's been
1: better in a larger role than he was
0: in a more limited role last season.
1: Yeah, I mean he was a a bit of a headache to evaluate as a prospect because he was yes. just jumbo size. <laughs> Forward with playmaking ability, that you had to get him out running to get the best version of him. And the outside shot struggled, but now it's gotten to a respectable level. He's bringing great energy. um He's flying all over the place. He's become this guy that could grab it and go and make a, a play for his team. So I, I think watching when I watched Jalen Johnson's film, I was like, this is a guy that's figured it out. This is a guy that's worked on his game and figured out how to help this team. And um, now he's got he's gotten to a point where I think early on in the year they were bringing him off the bench. Now they're starting him because they're like he's been fantastic. So um, it's just it's just cool. Like that's why we, that's why we wait. That's why it takes time. And and Jalen's look great. Let's
0: move on to another year three, Jalen Jalen Green of the Houston yeah. Rockets. And you mentioned it in the piece, and I think this is spot on. And the way of looking at it, I believe this upcoming season is going to require the most patience when it comes from Green and. I couldn't agree more. And I think the real driving force of that is, you know, let's, let's just be honest about it. Right. Last year he was given free reign to do whatever he wanted, right. Like he could shoot every single time the ball touched his hands and he kind of did. Right. And it was a team where there was, you know, very little in terms of reigning him in. And now, you know, with year three, I mean, you mentioned the coaching change when it came to the opera and shang discussion. Right. But with Jalen Green, it's going to be very interesting because what we've seen so far this year is they've run a lot more of the offense through Shangun, and Jalen Green has been asked to rein it in a bit from where he was last year. And, you know, so it'll be interesting to see, okay, can he fit in more to a different team context where, no, you're not going to be shooting the ball on every play and we need you to lock in a bit more on the defensive end. You know, a lot of NBA guys will, you know, spend, two, three, four, five years sort of slowly earning the confidence of the truck of the coaching staff and slowly developing their game, getting to the point where, okay, I can rely on him as a primary scorer. You know, he's someone who will take good shots, who will, you know, be efficient, but also get his teammates involved with Jalen green. It's just like, yeah, okay, shoot whatever you want, whatever. Right. And it's going to be very interesting to see him going from the kind of freedom that you mostly see from, you know, many year vets to go to, Okay. I've got to be a part of a system now and the numbers are going to dip because of that, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if anything, the fact that the raw numbers dip a bit, but the efficiency goes up a bit, that's going to make him, you know, more of a valuable piece for this Rockets team than just, okay, yeah, I guess you're going to be the gunner for us. Shoot. Whenever you feel like it.
1: I, I really do think every Rockets fan, like I think it's the most important year for Jalen because like you just pointed out, Nick, like he's had just go do whatever you want. Like his whole career, it's just been like, all right, go do whatever you want. Now it is, you have a coach that will hold you accountable. You have a coach that will tell you like it is like Emma Udoka is from everything I've heard from everything as a Celtic fan, I read from every, he will call you out. He, he wants you to be a more team player. And I thought, when they hired Udoka, I thought it was the biggest thing for Jalen green, because now it's like, you can't just go and be like, I'm shooting from everywhere. Now you gotta be trying to get development versatility when it comes to playmaking and stuff. And I think I'm not worried about like his points per game dropping this year. If anything, I think that might be a good thing. If the if yeah. the efficiency is staying around because he doesn't need to be the guy they have so much talent. He's going to be the guy. Like that's where you drop the Jalen's. I mean, Jalen green, sorry. Um, He's going to eventually be the guy. Like when when he was a prospect, I talked to someone that co- coached against him in one of those like ignite scrimmages, and they're like, "Jalen Green is going to be an absolute scoring machine at the NBA level." It's just how long does it take to figure out everything else? They're like, "The sky's the limit for him as a scorer," but how long does it take to figure out? And this is a big year for him because I think he's going to get coached up. I think he's going to work on it and be held accountable. I mean, his last four games, he's averaged. 21 five and three almost with shooting splits of 43 47 81 that's fantastic for him so i'm just in wait and see mode with jalen i i've never ever worried about him as a top pick i've just been one of those like this is a guy that's going to need a couple years because coming in and being the go-to scorer you have to take everyone's best punch defensively and you have to learn how to be you know the the nuances of the game of like okay how can I get to the free throw line Get me some easy buckets how can I work to get to my shot here and I think you still see with his game sometimes like he's forcing a little early but you're also seeing some times where he's working to get to spots and being patient and showing that he's developing that way and some playmaking stuff so I think he's on the right path and I think this is going to be a great season for him
0: Up next is a fascinating one for me anyway. And you lead off this section by saying Christian Brown was an absolute draft crush for me. And this is interesting for me because I was not as high on him as the rest of the no ceilings crew. And I have very quickly been proven wrong. So, you know, mea culpa there, but also it's very interesting because a lot of what I was worried about with Brown was, is he going to shoot well enough for the rest of his game to make sense? And, so far, the answer has been, yes, he's, you know, not a spectacular shooter by any means, but, you know, all he really needed to be was just average, really. And last year, you know, 35% from three-point range. You know, this year, not as great, but, you know, again, the sample size is tiny. We're only a few games into the season. But he just, you know, as you said already, he came off the bench, you know, was a very impactful role player. And, you know, he was the short-term play Peyton Watson was the long-term play and the short-term play paid off. So, you know, again, fully, fully admit that I, that I was wrong on Brown, but it is fascinating to sort of see, okay, as you know, now that he's sort of hit the baseline of, okay, I guess the shot's good enough, you know, do the rest of the skills start to round out? And so far the answer has been, you know, pretty emphatically. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I think Christian was a tough one because everyone was the upperclassman always gets dangerous and you know, white guy that is a shooter. Everyone's like, well, can he play defense? I just thought he was a smart player that it depended where he landed. The fit yeah. was going to be really important. And when Denver took him, I was like, Oh man, it's a great spot for him to end up. And I think that's one of those guys where he also had a, a, impressive postseason where everyone's like hey christian brown's gonna take bruce brown's minutes now next year and i was like "Man, let's pump the brakes a little (laughs) bit he's still got a while to go but he makes an impact um you you watch on tape and he makes the right plays a lot and i think it's a guy that he's always going to be a team team player when it comes to like he will make the extra pass to get a hockey assist and it won't show up in the box score but he he's smart and I think he'll understand when it's time at times to like, okay, I can get mine. I'm feeling pretty good. And it's tough with those guys where we're already being like, okay, yeah, just take over for one of the most important pieces of the puzzle for the championship <laughs> last year. And yeah, no pressure. I think it's, yeah, no pressure, but it, it's going to take a while for, I think the box scores to start lighting up. But I think Christian's just one of those really good players that, you know, when you sub him in, you know, that the team's still going to be firing on all cylinders. He gets a lot of easy buckets from, moving off the ball and being a smart player. So um, another guy where I'm just, I'm excited to watch him throughout the year. And finally, to
0: wrap this up, talking about another Houston Rocket. And this is going to be very interesting for me because this is someone that we have seen together in person multiple times and the experiences could not have been more different. Jabari Smith Jr. of the Houston Rockets. And Summer League year one, I mean, it's interesting because I had Jabari fourth on my board that year. I had him behind Jaden Ivey, And the reason for that really was I assumed, okay, he's going to come in as this great floor spacer. He's going to come in as this incredible defensive talent, but I'm really worried about the fact that he can't score around the basket. You know, that was my big thing of look, if I'm going to take him, you know, there are a lot of pushes for him to be the number one overall pick. And a lot of people expected him to be the number one overall pick until basically a few minutes before the Orlando magic pick Paula Banchero, Right. And the thing with Jabari, you know, we saw him in summer league year one and he just could not buy a basket. And I remember very vividly, there was a moment when he knocked down a three, which made him like four for 17 on the day. And he just screamed. And it was so clear that he was so frustrated and he desperately needed that shot to go in. And it was the kind of things like, Oh wow. Like he's, he's really going through it. You know, this is clearly, clearly getting to him. And you know, last year he had his ups, he had his downs, but you know, ultimately he barely cleared the 30% from three point threshold. And that was the one thing that I was like, Oh, this is I mean, I was more bought into the defense, but the shooting was like, if there's anything on offense, this is absolutely going to translate. He's got such a smooth stroke. This is a clear, you know, elite three point shooter. And he just wasn't. And that could not have been more different from the experience of watching him in summer league this year. Just you know 33 points easily taking it to guys you know getting getting guys down low you know getting into his shots on the perimeter and just the difference you know there was clear skill development that was easy to see between year 1 and year 2 but the thing that stood out to me the most is he went from being someone who you know, was so clearly frustrated and so clearly losing confidence in himself in that first summer league when he was really struggling to being one of the clearest, I don't need to be here anymore, guys, in summer league this year.
1: It, it, it's so fascinating with Jabari because I, I know some people probably read it, this piece I wrote, and were like, what? You think he's taking a leap? You think he's about to take a leap? And I'm like, yeah, because his stats from last year right now are almost the same. Like he's averaging, uh, last year he averaged 12 and 7 with 1.3 assists. This year he's averaging 12 and 7 with 1.3 assists. And I think everyone after Summer League was like, oh gosh, he's going to be averaging 20 a game. He's going to be a beast. But that's because Houston has so much talent now that it's just some nights it's it's your night, some nights it's not. But the biggest thing for me with Jabari is I think he's understanding where to get to his spots and how to work to get higher quality shots. And now the mid range is coming wrong. He's taking threes, but it's, it's way high quality looks. It's wide open and he's getting to the basket. I mean, he's averaging the same stats basically, but last year he shot 40, 40.8% 40. from the field and 30.7% from three. Right now he's shooting 48.4% from the field and 36.4% from three. So, like, I know people get p- caught up in points and rebounds, but it's like, that's a humongous jump. <laughs> when yeah. it And, yes, we're only nine games in. I understand that. But, like, if he can all of a sudden get to a point where it's like, hey, he's getting 15 and 8 and floating around 50-40, like, whoa, that is a huge jump. And shangun has been a beast. Um, Jalen Green's had his nights. Dylan Brooks, Fred VanVleet. Jabari's on a great path when it comes to development. Like, he is on a very good path where now it's, becoming a more efficient player. And then you get down the road and you start seeing the field goal attempts get going a little bit more. And his confidence starts filing in because we saw him at summer league this year. And like Nick said, we saw him first year, first year, that sequence where you saw him scream. Like we all felt it. We were like, yeah, we get it. We get it, big fellow. You're working, you're trying. And, and this year seeing him, you're like, that is a bad man that is really starting to feel good. And, I think this is also important where like if he has an efficient year and he gets another off season to work on his game, then you get, we just talked about Scotty Barnes, like then that year three leap. And, and it, so I just think the leap is happening with him now because he's working to get to his spots. He, he's working to be more efficient. And um, I've just loved the, the change in mentality when it comes to like the type of shots he's getting. I think Jabari is going to be a, a stud for them. It's interesting because, you know, Referencing back to the Jalen Green discussion, right? It's
0: like there are many ways in which Jabari's numbers could either stay the same or maybe even dip. And I would think he took a big step forward because if he ends the year, you know, same as last year, right? Like twelve points, seven rebounds, assist and a half per game. Great. Okay, if that's where he ends up, but he's doing it on the efficiency that he's at now. I think that's a huge step forward for him because it's. I mean, empty numbers is not the right way of putting it, but really it's the kind of thing where, okay, you know, where where does his sort of NBA trajectory end up, right? And if it's the kind of thing where, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, he'll shoot if you give him the ball, but, you know, 41-31 is not exactly the kind of splits you want to write home about for him. It's like, The numbers, raw numbers wise, might look the same at the end of the year. But if he takes a step forward efficiency wise, I mean, he's taking a step forward efficiency wise and maintaining those numbers on a team that, you know, added Dylan Brooks, that added Fred Van Vliet, that is giving a bigger role to Alper and Schengen. There's less opportunity on the offensive end for Jabari Smith in terms of just putting up raw numbers. But if he can get to a place where he's, you know, doing exactly what he was last year, but being positive efficiency wise rather than you know a bit of a sinkhole efficiency wise that in and of itself is a huge leap forward and i love how you brought it back to the scotty barnes thing because that's how you set up a big year three for him is he gets a little bit more comfortable he's not pushing like he was in summer league and throughout the season last year he's just getting more comfortable in as you said getting to his spots you know making good reads and being efficient that's the kind of thing where okay now that he establishes a more solid baseline, then you can look at year three and be like, okay, can he do a bit more? You know, is he going to be someone who maybe we can set up for more opportunities around the basket rather than just having him as a spacer, you know, maybe we can, you know, have him be more of a sort of involved pivot for us offensively rather than just purely a shooter. And, you know, those are skills that he has to work on. I mean, other than scoring around the basket, his handle was the biggest concern about him heading into the draft. Right. But Ultimately, if he fills, you know, a similar sort of production to last year, but does it a lot more efficiently, that show that would show to me anyway that he's built a lot stronger of a baseline to sort of have a bigger leap come year three.
1: Absolutely. I think it's they've got so much talent and success right now. I think everyone's still trying to get to figure out like playing with each other when it comes to all the mouths to feed. You know, Dylan Brooks is there, he's having a fantastic start to the year. Um, Fred Van Vliet's been awesome. So it's just, we're going to wait and see with Jabari, but I, I I'm right there with you. If he had one of those similar years where it's just way more efficient and a huge jump there, then you're looking at the year three explosion where you're like, Oh, now Jabari's floating around 20 a game, maybe, or, you know, maybe he jumps from 13 or 14, a game to 17 or 18, which is a big deal. Like, yeah. so um, I, I think he's on a great path. I I've loved what I've seen from him. All right. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap this one up? No, I think uh, I probably talked everyone's ear off, so I appreciate it. And thanks, Nick, for having me on. This was a fun one to to go back and talk about because uh, I love a lot of the young players I highlighted here. And I think there's a lot of other talented ones, too, that um, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on.
0: All right. He is Tyler Rucker. You can find him on Twitter at Tyler underscore Rucker. And you can, of course, find his written work on noceilingsmba.com as well as his videos on No Ceilings TV. So definitely be sure to check that out. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson. And you can, of course, find my written work on the No Ceilings NBA website. If you've been enjoying the show, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback regarding the deep dive specific portion of the show, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.